When Mr. Stewart was sharing with you about uh, John Wesley taking his place alongside George Whitfield to preach in the open air, he took as his text those words in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. I want to read some of those verses just now, very briefly, a few verses from the Scriptures. Luke chapter 4, and commencing to read at verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Amen. And I know the Lord will bless the reading of his own precious word to all our hearts. Over the years, Mrs. Stewart and I have had the privilege of visiting many of the places that she shared uh, with you and spoke of in her story today. The lovely place and town of Epworth and Lincolnshire where John and Charles and the family grew up as Samuel and Susanna had lived there and ministered there. Then down to London which was such a focal centre of Methodism during the 18th century. Also over to Bristol where there's the new rooms and then of course the Wesley Chapel there and the place where he taught so many of his young preachers. And there are many other places that we've been as well in England when we have visited over there. And as I've said to you already today, uh, one of those treasured little souvenirs that we have picked up along with others was that acorn from underneath the tree where John Wesley had preached, as I said, in June 1742 after being denied access to the pulpit by the then minister in the church, uh, Mr. Romley. Uh, he speaks about that event in his journal and records what uh, happened. He said, uh, speaking outside to the people uh, on his father's tombstone, the scene was unique and inspiring. A living son preaching on a dead father's grave because a parish minister would not allow him to officiate in a dead father's church. After three days of preaching, he said this, I am well assured that I did far more good to my Lincolnshire parishioners by preaching three days on my father's tomb than I did by preaching three years in his pulpit, which of course he did uh, some years previously to this. He was persuaded to continue preaching there in the churchyard for a further five days. You know, as I thought about that, 
my mind went back to the time when our Savior started his ministry. And it wasn't very long until the synagogues were closed, not only to him, but also to the apostles. And it was during those early days of the church, and especially after our Savior's departure, having left them to carry on his wonderful work, it wasn't very long until all the synagogues, the churches of the then day and time, were closed to the apostles. And what happened? Well, they were scattered abroad. They were uh, dispersed to so many different places, and of course to Antioch, and it became the great missionary launching pad for missionary ministry in the first century when the Apostle Paul took his message to the then known world. The floodgates of evangelism were flung wide open. The churches were closed. But the fields were open. You know, it was also true to say that when the pulpits and the churches were closed to George Whitfield and then, of course, to the Wesleys, they took the message of the good news of the gospel to the masses of unchurched England. It was George Whitfield who said, The churches are closed against me. Bless God, the fields are open. You know, we're living in a particularly unique period in our history in that just presently the churches across our land are closed, as are many other buildings, because of the uh, COVID-19 virus. And to prevent large crowds gathering and being in close proximity. We're praying earnestly for the day whenever the churches will open again and people will be able to return. I hope that whenever that opportunity comes that you go back to church with a fresh uh, desire and a fresh zeal and with a fresh awareness of just how important these things are that we had become so familiar to and with over our lifetime. But you know, the message of the Bible has exploded across the world. I am aware that more people are listening to the ministry of God's Word now than perhaps in many a year in this century and even perhaps in the previous one. We get statistics, of course, and you can't place too much emphasis on statistics, but they, of course, do give you some indication of the interest that's on the part of people with regard to the things of God. And the sales of Bibles, I understand, has reached a, a record height in this present circumstance and situation. Our desire and prayer is that God's Spirit will take all of this interest and revive interest in the things of God to lead people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Multitudes are being reached for the Lord these days that have never previously been touched by the gospel. And God's people and God's servants are being inspired to new initiatives, to new resourcefulness in the face of difficulty to new initiatives in the face of new challenges. And I'm so excited that we are part, a very small part of that. How uh, wonderful to be able to reach around the world with the uh, potential and with the facilities that we have today. I need hardly remind you that in history, even in the first century, 
whenever the apostles were scattered abroad and the missionary movement started and moved to Antioch and then to the then known world and then again in the 18th century England transforming the face of the nation there was immeasurable blessing as a result of two seemingly very difficult situations and not desirable circumstances the closing of the synagogues, the closing of the pulpits, the closing of the churches. But what immeasurable blessing. I've got a question for you. Why could that not be so now? Why not in the 21st century? As God maybe is recalibrating us for the ministry of his word, giving to us the impetus that we now see to reach out, to touch lives, to reach around the world. And I'm saying to you today, right now, don't miss the glorious opportunity to share the ministry of the Word of God, even in the face and in the present crisis. God's crises, our crises rather, are God's opportunities. Oh yes. And instead of seeing problems, we see possibilities. Instead of seeing giants, we see God. Instead of being gripped by the spirit of fear, we are impelled forward with the spirit of faith. So I say to you again, lift up your eyes. Don't complain for what you don't have, but rejoice in what you do have and in what is possible. You know, buildings and seats are not really the church. The church is made up of those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And as far as that church is concerned, it has never been more open than it has been right now. And praise God for the people who are being reached, even in closed countries. I heard recently of a service that was uh, streamed on the internet and in a closed country where there are no evident missionaries, there were 2,000 people listening. Many of them trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and they are now being discipled by believers in that country. You know, in the book of Job, chapter 38, we read these words that God made himself known in the whirlwind. And a whirlwind is something that's out of control. But you know something? There's nothing out of control under God. He is still in control. And I think he's recalibrating the strategy of the church, giving it a freshened perspective, opening up new horizons in the field of communication. So now, in these moments that remain to me, let me just bring you to this passage that I read a little while ago. This memorable passage not only in the life and ministry of our Lord, but in the life and ministry of John Wesley. The same text was taken by our Savior that day in the synagogue at Nazareth as he began his public ministry. It was the text that was taken in 1739 by John Wesley. Where was he when he preached from Luke chapter 4? verses 18 and 19. He was, as Mrs. Stewart said, he was in one of the brickyards at Bristol. 3,000 people had gathered 
to listen to the visiting preacher from London. Remember that George Whitfield had been there for around six weeks or so, but now the movement had become so vast, so big and uh, so ongoing that George sent an urgent letter to London and implored John to come because he felt this is the man that I want to take up the reins because George was leaving to go to America. So he needed someone to follow him to carry the work on. And he picked this man, John Wesley. 3,000 people have gathered to listen to the visiting preacher from London. And as they listened to him, the Spirit of God began to work in their hearts in a very special way. The Holy Spirit came down in power onto the people. And John Wesley said, I proclaimed the glad tidings of salvation to them. Our program is called Glad Tidings Hour. I think it's very Methodist if we were to take the context that I've just shared with you just now. I proclaim the glad tidings of salvation to them. Can you imagine what it was like that day when the new visiting preacher stood up before the people in Nazareth? When the new visiting preacher in London stood up before the people in Bristol and made the announcement and the words were with power, they came with conviction, they came with authority. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. It was the common people who heard Jesus gladly. It was in the main ordinary people who listened to John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield and others and many of those lay preachers that joined ranks with them. And of course the whole face of England was transformed, not only morally and spiritually, but industrially because out of it there came the Industrial Revolution and all the vices and the grip uh, that uh, people was, were held in was broken as they were set free and began to sing those amazing songs. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? And we could go on hymn after hymn. My dear people, the good news, that's what the gospel word means. The evangelium, the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And then as he stood to speak to the people, he said, The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Apostle Paul later on said, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. My dear people, it is through the blood of Jesus, the one who was preaching would give his life as a sacrifice three and a half years later and as a ransom and as an offering so that we could say today we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. 
oh my wonderful friend Jesus can be your friend too the good news is that the message is for the poor you say well why does it say that well it tells me that if it's for the poor even the rich can get in because if it was only for the rich the poor would be excluded but the Bible says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Do you know something? Salvation is a gift. It's a free gift. Free grace has made it available to the whosoever will. And what does it do? It meets the need of those who are spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to offer. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We are indeed helpless. But he is the hope of the ages. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not only is it a great announcement of glad tidings, but there's healing for the broken heart. I'm sure... As much as I am aware, you are aware too, that we live in a broken world. We live in a world where hearts are hurting, lives are crushed, people are broken hearted. There may be people today and they're listening to this program, to this message, and you're broken hearted. Some terrible tragedy, some awful rupture or fracture in your life and in your circumstances has plunged you into a deep, broken-hearted experience. The Lord Jesus has come to bind up the broken-hearted. Yes, he is the God of all consolation to those who are bereaved. He is the healer of those whose bodies are racked with pain. He is the comforter to those who are lonely. He is hope for those who feel that there's no hope. Are you one of those today? I'm sure as John Wesley looked out over the people of his day, he could see people that were broken. Oh yes, they were. They were broken in their vices. They were gripped and held and dominated by the monster sin and mastered by a power that they could not break. But Jesus is the healer of broken hearts. He is the restorer of ruined lives. We sing a little chorus and there's a couple of lines in it that go like this. Heartaches, broken pieces, ruined lives are why Jesus died on Calvary. His touch was what I longed for. And praise God, he has given life to me. Am I speaking to someone today whose life is in fragments, who is disintegrated in mind and heart and emotions, and you don't feel there's any purpose maybe to continue to live. Let me commend to you, my Savior, Jesus, healer of broken hearts. Heal this heart of mine, Jesus knows all about your struggles and he has promised to come and guide you till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. As the master looked out over his congregation that day, 
He also announced to them that I am come to give sight to the blind. And of course he did that during his earthly ministry. Blind Bartimaeus received his sight. Others were healed of their blindness. It was a common problem in the days of the Savior. But as John Wesley looked out over his people, he saw people who were morally blind. Because the Bible says the God of this world, Satan of course is the one being referred to, has blinded the minds of those that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine into them. But he stands before you, or before anyone for that matter, in their moral blindness, in their darkness. And he says, I am come that you might not just have life, but I am come a light into the world. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Do you want to come from darkness to light? I was once in darkness, eyes can see. I was lost, but Jesus sought and found me. Oh, what love he offers. Oh, what peace he gives. I will sing forevermore. He lives. Every blind person is a living example of people by nature and in sin. But every healed person in the life and ministry of Jesus is an example of a deeper, more wonderful illumination when the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ shines into the heart. Well, I know my time is gone and you've been very patient, but let me conclude with this wonderful thought. Here's freedom for the captive. Once I was bound in sin's galling fetters, chained like a slave, I struggled in vain. But praise God, glorious freedom, wonderful freedom. No more in chains of sin I repine. Jesus, the glorious emancipator, now and forever, he shall be mine. He said, I have come to announce deliverance to the captives. I have come to open the prison to those who are bound. He was looking at people who were prisoners. Some of them were imprisoned in their religion. Others were imprisoned in their vices. So it was in the 18th century too. And so it is in the 21st century. Human problems are the same. Cultures and backgrounds and situations and social uh, interactions may change, but the problem at the base of it all is just the same today. But the answer is just the same. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. He came, the prisoner to release in Satan's bondage held, the gates of brass before him burst, the iron fetters yield. Do you want to be set free? He whom the Son sets free, said our Lord, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. The testimony of Charles and John Wesley was 
Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Oh yes, the message is just the same. The need is just the same. The answer is just the same. Here is an announcement of good news. Here is healing for the broken life. Here is sight for the blind. Here is liberty for the captive. Oh, I pray that today, wherever you are, and if you still have never come to this wonderful Savior, let me commend my Savior to you. Trust him. Find a quiet place somewhere and bow before him. Acknowledge your need of a Savior. Open up your heart to him. If you have once been bright for him and have gone away from him, today, now, this is the opportunity to make it right. Come back. Come back to your first love and start walking with the Savior again.